This is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and we're running down some of the top stories of the week. Don't forget to check out the Daily Dive Monday through Friday for more news without the noise. One of the oddest stories of the week was this food fight over the M word, the word meat. In Missouri, there was a new law passed where they said that you cannot use the word meat to describe something that was not harvested from animal flesh. So all these purveyors of uh, vegan and vegetarian foods, you can't say, hey, try this plant-based meat product or this plant-based burger type thing. The Missouri Cattlemen's Association fought to have this law enacted, and they won. So companies in Missouri now, they can't use the word meat to describe their products. Everybody's in an uproar. The makers of Tofurky are suing now, counter-suing to get this overturned. We spoke to Zlati Meyer, money reporter for USA Today, for more on what the law is, when it was enacted, and she'll tell us about what clean meat is and what plant-based meats are. That law was signed by the then governor on June 1st, and it took effect on Tuesday. This is a way for the state to regulate what we, just in conversation, might call fake meat or faux meat, but it's actually two different categories of meat. The first is called clean meat. This is also known as lab-grown meat. It's made of cultured animal tissue cells. Then there's also something called plant-based meat, and that is protein that's made from ingredients such as soy or tempeh that essentially are plants. And what the essence of this is the the rancher community, which is basically represented by something called the Missouri Cattlemen's Association, they don't want anything called meat unless it comes from an actual animal, be it cattle or deer or poultry. And they're saying that they brought this suit forward because they wanted to make sure that consumers know what they're getting. And they cited that there was a lot of shopper confusion and that people huh. didn't know or possibly wouldn't know what they were getting, especially once the lab-grown meat came into effect. That's really what the focus of the suit was, but that's the grounds that they were suing on. That's right. So earlier this week, a company that makes Tofurky, which is a turkey-esque product made out of tofu, filed an injunction in the Missouri federal court asking that this statute not be enforced. And one of the things they're saying is there is no confusion. People know that these new products exist and no one is confusing this with your traditional all-American, say, beef burger or chicken cutlet. That's the whole point of those things is that they're marketing to people that don't want to eat animals. And they're clearly labeled all the time. I mean, I go through these aisles all the time. They're clearly labeled as plant-based or, you know, as you said, the tempeh or the seitan or the tofu. It's clearly labeled so that you know it's not meat because people that are buying those don't want the animals. Right. Well, there is always the crowd of people that knows exactly what they're seeking. Their concern is probably more people that are not so well-versed in the vegan or vegetarian world of vocabulary. So they're saying there might be an accidental switcheroo, if you will. Some of these products use words like bologna slices or another one that we see as pepperoni, and they might be confused. They might not realize it. But in the lawsuit, the Tofurky folks and their code plaintiff, which is called the Good Food Institute at the Washington, D.C.-based advocacy group, says, no way. We know a spade is a spade, and we know meat is meat, and the stuff that our clients and this crowd in the faux meat space is selling, nobody is making mistakes. Another point that they raise in that lawsuit filed earlier this week is they say it's a First Amendment issue. They say this is really unconstitutional, which is why the lawsuit was filed in federal court as opposed to a Missouri court. They're saying we can use the word meat the way we want to use the word meat. 
meat. Furthermore, they pointed out that the word meat also has been used historically to refer to the edible part of a nut or the edible part of a fruit. So this sort of purity, <laughs> if you will, of the use of the word meat, they feel doesn't really fly in this case. Right. It's going to be interesting to see how this countersuit plays out. We had a similar situation with this uh, food startup called Hampton Creek, which they made a product called Just Mayo. And they got sued saying you can't use the word mayo because it's not real mayonnaise. It's not made with eggs. They ended up dropping the suits. They ended up changing the name and everything. But this is because they were facing that losing battle. It was not made with eggs specifically, and you couldn't use the name. It might be a similar situation here where they are facing that uphill battle. That's right. And this is not a battle that is unique to the state of Missouri. This is something we see playing out on the federal stage as well. In June, for example, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced that they were going to regulate lab-grown meat. Traditional animal proteins have been the jurisdiction of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So we sort of see even on the federal level sort of shifting of thought. One marketing expert that I spoke to said using the word meat helps the consumer rather than the companies making it in that the consumers now who are not familiar with these products know how to use it. He called using the word meat for non-animal meat products as sort of a shortcut like, hey, instead of putting this patty made of cow on my barbecue grill, I will make this plant-based meat patty on my barbecue. So that word meat helps people replace one product with another while they're just walking through a supermarket aisle. Right. But that also might be another reason why the Missouri Cattlemen's Association was fighting this so hard is because the meat substitute market is expected to grow exponentially again. I mean, they're going to be a 7.5 billion industry by 2025. Last year, it was about $4.2 billion. So it's eating up some of their market share, possibly. And that's another reason why they might want to eliminate the use of the word meat. That's true. That's true. And we see a similar issue unfolding in the dairy space where people have used the term almond milk for a while or cashew milk and soy milk. Right. And it does put these other companies in a bind because now you have to find other creative ways to name your products. That's an interesting fight over the M word. Zlati Meyer, money reporter for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm a pet lover. I love animals. I had a dog. His name was Ernie. He was a French bulldog. The most shocking story of the week was pet owners abusing their own animals to get drugs. The opioid epidemic has overtaken the country and people that are addicted to these pain medications will do anything that they can to get their hands on it. And in one specific story, a lady was intentionally cutting her dog so that she could take him to the vet and get pain medication. She was looking for uh, something called tramadol. Uh, so we spoke to Beth Warren. She's a reporter at the Louisville Courier Journal. She tells us the story of Heather Pereira, who abused her dog to get opioids. And then the larger story, it's impacted the way veterinarians are prescribing these drugs, administering these drugs to the animals and keeping out an eye for potential abuse. That was a Kentucky case. She had like a beautiful dog named Alice that was a golden retriever mix. She finally admitted to using her husband's straight razor and intentionally cutting the dog. And she did this multiple times to get a narcotic. And it's changing the way that veterinary schools and veterinarians approach the whole thing because they're teaching them now to look out for warning signs of a person possibly abusing their animals so that they can obtain the opioids and the painkillers. Right. I talked to Auburn University and they train Kentucky's next vets 
and they are aware that the potential for abuse is real. And so they talk to them about trying to spot signs, such as if the animal doesn't exhibit a limp and the owner says the animal has a limp or they may press on the area that's supposed to be sore to test to see if they see a pain response. Sometimes they'll decide maybe a pain reliever is needed but not a narcotic. They may just give something less strong. Right. And then they'll ask the pet owner to sign a waiver to allow them to look at medical history of the pet. If they don't do that, some won't treat because that could be a potential sign of doctor shopping. So there's some things they're learning to do so that when they become vets, they will be more aware of this problem. When people are desperate and they need these drugs, they feel they need these things, they're going to go to any lengths to get them. A lot of doctors have a database available to them to search to see if people are doing this kind of doctor shopping stuff. Maybe they've been prescribed opioids and painkillers recently, and you know maybe they're back at another doctor trying to get them again. There's nothing like this for veterinarians, is there? In Kentucky, we do have what you're talking about, the database. If I, as a patient, was going and trying to get more opioids, they could tell that I was at a doctor's office last week getting opioids. Now I'm back trying to get more. So they can tell for people. But the problem with a pet is the pet is technically the patient. So in Kentucky, at least, the vet cannot check those records because the person who's getting the drug is the pet owner. They're the one filling the prescription. There's no way to check to see. And the pet owner could just change the dog's name. You know, they could say it's Spot at one clinic and it's Sparky at another one. So there's really no way because unlike with a patient, you can get a DOB, social, and, you know, you can check. But they wish they had this tool. I've talked to some vets who said they do, you know, it would be helpful, but no way to do that kind of a search. It's an interesting thing reading in this story about the woman, Heather, and what she was trying to get. She was trying to get tramadol. I just had a situation with my dog. He was a French bulldog. We took him to the vet. He had some pain. They prescribed him some pain medication. I didn't know exactly what it was at the time. And she was going over the medication. She's like, oh, this is for his heart. This is for the pain. She's like, this is the good stuff. They give it to humans. And it kind of clicked in my ear. And I went back and I saw it. And it's called tramadol. Two weeks later, I had another friend come over who said she just picked up her prescription from the pharmacist for a hand injury that she had. And she had the same thing, the same tramadol, same milligram dosage, everything. It was the exact same thing. And I didn't really know that they prescribed these same type of medications to pets as they did to humans. I, I just assumed human and, and dog that they would be prescribed some different type of medications. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't have really known that either, but there are a few drugs that are used in humans and animals for pain relief. Obviously, it's not going to be as strong as a heroin high or meth or cocaine. So people who are addicted to those heavy drugs like that, that wouldn't suffice for them. But for people who may be abusing pills, this is definitely a real threat. And in the end, how was Heather caught? Reading through the article, it's akin to almost trying to spot child abuse or something. They said that these cuts didn't look like they happened naturally and she was lying about how she obtained the injury, basically. The cuts were very aligned, so they seemed too neat and in a straight line. And they didn't buy the excuses she gave for the injury. Like one of them was the dog was laying under the car, which seems really weird for a dog of that size. And the injury was on the side, not the back. So that just didn't make sense. The injuries just didn't seem consistent to the vet. And he also noticed that she'd been there three times within a couple of months with cut injuries to this dog. So that just seemed like how many times this dog's getting cut. And the last time the owner specifically asked for trauma at all, which wow. was a red flag. Yeah. And as we said, they, so. they're they teaching veterinarians to look out for these warning signs. All those things are specifically what they're telling them. If they make specific requests, 
if the stories just don't add up, it might be somebody that's trying to abuse the drugs. Thank you very much for joining us, Beth. You guys there at the Courier Journal are actually doing a series of stories on the opioid epidemic that's happening. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, we've got a team that has been covering the opioid epidemic for years, and we've pretty much intensified our coverage in the last couple of years as our city just has gotten hit worse and worse. We're now losing more than a person a day to a fatal overdose on average. It's just devastating, and it's in every zip code. So it's just something that we are trying to do more intensely. And that's why I was at a a DEA conference recently when I heard about the pets being abused and I just couldn't believe it. So I was very disheartened to hear it, but I thought we needed to jump on it and get the word out. Beth Warren, reporter for the Louisville Courier Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I think maybe the most innovative story of the week is that of a porn company called Naughty America, who's going to be using deep fake technology to put you in the adult film. We're going to talk to Matt Bender, reporter at Mashable, for more. Deep fakes blew up online specifically because of just exactly how easy it was to create what amounts to an image manipulation. What's basically going on is that deep fake stands for pretty much the deep is for deep learning and fakes for obviously the faked images. And what deep learning is, it's the way where artificial intelligence, to simply put it, artificial intelligence is basically looking at these videos and it's studying what it sees. It's digesting the data and understanding the movements and what you're, what it's seeing. And that way it can, when you hand it the photos you want it to superimpose onto the video, it understands what it needs to do with these photos. It's basically like a, an automated way to edit these films. Previously, you would open up Final Cut or Premiere and have to drop in an image and track it to the video and do other sorts of editing to the image to make it wrap around or rotate or move with the video. But with this technology, what's going on is the software, the AI is doing this on its own by studying the video and learning what it needs to do. And early on, people were having a lot of fun with it. They'd put, I think one of the ones that I saw most was uh, using Nicolas Cage's face and then putting him in all sorts of different movies. So everybody was having a lot of fun with it at that, at that point. But now this porn company, they're called Naughty America. They want to use this to make a new business model out of it. And they want to allow the consumer to put themselves in the film, put your own face on a, a porn actor or actress's body and then have fun with it, I guess. It makes you feel like you're part of the situation going on. This is an example of a good use of it because the, the a, a bad use is like we, you were saying before for revenge porn. Right. And then also, you know, people were taking scenes from pornographic films and they were editing in mainstream, you know, Hollywood actresses right. into the films, you know, and that's not consensual. Those actresses don't want to be in those movies. And you know what? Maybe the adult entertainers don't want their bodies to be used with someone's face on top of them. That's another example of a bad use. But here, you know, you ha- you're going to have with what Naughty America is doing a completely consensual use of this technology. If you're a Naughty America subscriber, you can pay to customize your favorite film scene or get a completely customized new scene filmed and you can provide your own likeness, your own images, and they will use this technology to superimpose your image on top of one of the actors and it'll be completely on the up and up according to the uh, CEO of Naughty America who I spoke to. They will have consent not only from the uh, person paying for this service, but also from the adult entertainer. How much is this costing? 
you said they have to be members, but then you also have to pay to get this service also. There's no really exact price, but what, but what the price ranges from is from the hundreds to the thousands of dollars, Whoa. pretty much depending on how much work is involved. Right. If it's a fairly simple, superimposed face on top of something, or they could even change the backgrounds, things that you would normally maybe need a, a green screen to do. They can do it without having the need for that sort of thing. Really depends on how much customization is involved. And the CEO says that he sees this as the next thing, the future. You, the personalization aspect of this is what people want. That's really the way I, th I think the entire internet culture is really going because so much is just available out there that in order to really grab someone's attention, you're going to need to customize it to that individual so they specifically feel like they're interacting with whatever it is they're watching. Not necessarily even have to have to be an adult film. It can be any sort of form of entertainment, whether it be you know an article they're reading or a YouTube video they're watching, a song they're listening to, a podcast they're subscribed to. <laughs> and it's so interesting, you know, porn has often been a big force in the adoption of new technology. The widely available use of the VHS tapes killed Betamax because of this stuff. Porn runs the internet right now. Online payments increased because people were using their credit cards online to pay for stuff. And uh, HD DVD got killed by Blu-ray because you can hold more storage and the porn companies went that way with Blu-ray. So, right. I mean, even this, you know, this deep fake technology, while it's had its ups and downs, could be pushed into the next limit if something like this really takes off. Right. And in speaking with the Naughty America CEO, he also doesn't even like that term deep fakes because it really was a term that sort of was created by these online communities that were creating this very specific thing where they were using the technology, the deep learning AI to create what amounts to fake imagery. And while the imagery is fake, you know, when someone is creating something, you know, creative and they're uh, manipulating like something in Photoshop or whatever, and they create a cool image, you don't necessarily say, look at this fake image I created. So I think what he's hoping to do is rewrite the terminology being used to describe this specific tech behind these deep fakes in order to say, listen, this is just another form of video editing or image manipulation, just like, you know, Final Cut or Premiere or Photoshop or Illustrator. You can do all sorts of things with it. It could be deep fakes. It could be inserting yourself in your favorite sex scene in an adult film. You could run the gamut with this. And it's not necessarily something that has to have this revenge porn, non-consensual way of putting someone in something they don't want to be involved in connotation to it. Well, we'll see what other creative ways and other new business models they will use this technology for. Matt Binder, reporter for Mashable, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for us this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.